Our reading tonight is from Mark, the sixth chapter. Now Jesus left that place and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. On the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astounded. And they said, where did this man get all this? What is this wisdom that has been given to him? What deeds of power are done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us right now? And they took offense at him. Then Jesus said to them, Prophets are not without honor except in their hometown and among their own kin and in their own house. And he could do no deed of power there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and cured them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. Then he went about among the villages teaching. He called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He ordered them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. And he said to them, wherever you enter a house, stay there until you leave the place. If any place will not welcome you and they refuse to hear you, as you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that all should repent, and they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and cured them. Word of God, word of life. Thanks be to God. We as church folk often joke that we don't like change or that it takes an inordinately amount, long amount of time for the church to actually change. We live with, we hide behind the belief that we, the church, don't like change. And I don't think that that is true. The truth is, in fact, we don't like inconvenient change or uncomfortable change or have to admit perhaps I was wrong kind of change. And in that, we aren't so different from our Nazarene friends that we just heard about. They knew Jesus. Jesus was a carpenter. Jesus was Mary's son. He was a bit of a brat as a child, ran off that one time and scared his parents half to death. And then he shows up again and starts behaving in ways that change everything. Even in his hometown, this was not okay with folks. Because those changes, they weren't about keeping the societal system in place. They were changing the foundation of their societal system. And that kind of change is inconvenient, uncomfortable, and admitting you may have been wrong kind of change. And they were having none of it. This isn't the first time that Jesus runs into this problem at the end of the first section of Mark, Jesus is rejected by the Pharisees and the Herodians. In our reading for today, we find ourselves at the end of the second section of Mark, with Jesus being rejected, this time by people from his hometown. And it won't be long before we find ourselves at the end of Mark. And Jesus, well, he's rejected by those even closer to him. 
Jesus is rejected by the Nazarenes for a whole host of reasons. He has no father. He is of a low station, and yet he is acting as if he is higher class than what he really is. And we all know what happens when people start acting as if they're higher on the social scale than they really are. There is little tolerance for that. And the people of Nazareth thought they knew everything they needed to know about Jesus to understand him. But this surety in their knowledge prevented them from truly knowing who Jesus was and hearing his message that you are loved and you are worthy and that your neighbor is loved and your neighbor is worthy. Because that really isn't easy to believe for anyone whether you lived in the first century or the 21st century. We are often told that our worth is tied up in our family or our wealth or our career or our possessions or in our productivity. And in this productivity-focused society, it's really hard to imagine that our worth isn't tied up in how productive a member of society we are. Are we contributing to the economy? Are we making good enough grades? Did we do everything we could to give our kids the best life possible? Do we work hard and play hard? As if even our play has to produce something. It is incessant and seductive And so ingrained in us, it's hard to believe that we are loved and that our neighbor is loved without any of that proof. And that's what Jesus enters into. One person said, it is as if the world's standards of judgment appear to run headlong into God's way. Jesus enters the scene, a scene not unlike our own, and starts changing everything, making people uncomfortable, and so they reject, they try to cancel him. But inconvenienced, uncomfortable, perhaps wrong people are defensive and oftentimes mean about it. So instead of banging his head against a wall because he can't really change their minds, Jesus moves on. As the Apostle Paul reminds us, we won't always be the ones to see the harvest, the seeds we plant produce. But Jesus doesn't leave burning things down as he goes. He leaves with love. Because in Jesus, your neighbor is loved. Your neighbor is worthy just as much as you are. And because he can't get through to these people... Jesus sends out his 12 disciples, two by two, to go and to preach the gospel so that people inconvenienced and uncomfortable and perhaps wrong people may turn their hearts toward Jesus. And the disciples are sent out with nothing but a staff. Others' disciples were often sent out with everything that they would need to be self-sufficient, but Jesus' disciples aren't. They have no bag to carry extra things. They are dependent on the community that they go to because following Jesus has never been a solitary mission, but always a communal one. And when we are in this together, we are able to lift each other up, encourage one another, affirm one another, and remind one another that you are loved and that you are worthy, that your neighbor is loved, and your neighbor is worthy. 
The power of God comes then when we allow the truth of the gospel to seep into our bones and soften our inconvenienced, uncomfortable, perhaps wrong hearts so that we can live as loved and worthy, knowing that we are held by God's hand, that same hand that will soon be scarred by a nail. I know it's hard to believe, to hope, and trust that who Jesus is, what he represents is real. I know that each day is a battle against the voices that tell us that we are not worthy or loved, that the message of love and grace and hope that we hear here in this place can so easily get drowned out by the messages of unworthiness that we are bombarded with every day. I know this because it is my struggle too. It's hard to believe it. And I know I'm not alone in this fight to bring about God's kingdom, to live a life founded on the love of Jesus that declares all people loved and worthy. But most days, if I'm honest, I would rather be a Nazarene who thinks she knows all there is to know about Jesus because then I wouldn't have to be kind to the credit card company who won't fix the problem with my card. I won't have to care about the way people of color are treated by systems designed to favor white people. I wouldn't have to care about the poor who have to work three jobs just to make ends meet. I wouldn't have to care about those who are hungry around the world and right here in La Crosse and on Alaska. I wouldn't have to care about those living under oppression. I wouldn't have to care about those who struggle with mental illness that I cannot comprehend. I wouldn't have to care that people would rather die than take an ambulance to the hospital because they can't afford it. And I wouldn't have to care that my life is killing our earth. I just wouldn't have to care. And it would be so much easier if I didn't have to care about these things and instead lived a convenient, comfortable, always right way. But Jesus changes everything. And the power of his love lives in me and lives in you. And I believe that deep in my soul. It's why I get up each morning and come to work. It's why I stand in this pulpit and remind you of this truth and then challenge you as much as I challenge myself to live it out because I believe it's true for all of us. It's why I continue to live in hope even on those days when that hope has been squashed to nearly non-existent. And those days seem to be more and more frequent. And it's why we need each other. Why building community based in wide welcome and deep love is so important to us here at first. Because the world is not preaching a gospel of hope and grace and love. But we are. We are preaching a gospel of hope and grace and love that changes everything. It reminds us to remind each other of the truth in Jesus that you are loved and you are worthy, that your neighbor is loved and your neighbor is worthy. And when we do that, the world is changed.